we're glad that you can join us this morning. Um, and we are going to be continuing our study through Exodus today. Uh, we will be covering more ground than I would ever want to, but we're trying to wrap this book up in the next uh, four weeks or so. And so we have 16 chapters left, and today, somehow, maybe, we're going to try to cover uh, half of that. Um, I'm not going to read it all, but um, I would encourage you, highly encourage you, to set aside an hour, um, maybe today, maybe sometime this week, uh, to read through this um, one of the many things that we humans love to admire uh, is architecture. We love buildings. Some of us travel uh, halfway across the world to see beautiful cathedrals and castles, cities, modern skyscrapers, uh, buildings that were built thousands of years ago, buildings that are being built today that are just marvels. Um, and we admire buildings with history. We admire buildings maybe because they, uh, a famous architect built them or designed them. And even in our homes, uh, most of us live in a home, a home probably, I hope so. Um, and we take time to set up the furniture, uh, to decorate it, to make it our own. Uh, we set it up the way we like it. And a house, a building, a structure, and even furniture can really speak a lot of things about a person, about the person who took the time to build, uh, to design, or to decorate it. What about God? What if God designed a building or a structure? What if he furnished it? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What would it be? And so today in our text, we are looking at exactly that. God calls Moses on the mountain. He's going to be there for 40 days. And during that time, God will reveal to him the plan and the design of a structure uh, that we see here is called the tabernacle. And here's what's interesting. There's a lot of amazing things that happened in Exodus. Like if you remember a few months back of all the stories that we went through, um, there's a lot of mir miracles, a lot of amazing things going on. The crossing of the Red Sea, the whole nation just crossed it on dry land. Um, the giving of manna, just bread falling from heaven to feed these people. In the desert... Moses strikes a rock and water begins to flow. All these stories are amazing, yet they get a paragraph, maybe a chapter of attention at most. Um, the tabernacle gets 15 chapters. So I know many of us kind of skim through or skip this section of the Bible altogether. I'm guilty of that. Uh, this morning as I preach, we're going to skim through this. Uh, but this section is very important. God chose to dedicate the time and the attention to this tabernacle to show us all the details because it is really 
important. So I, again, I encourage you uh, to take the time and to read through um, these chapters. So if you would open up your Bibles to Exodus 25, we will begin in verse 1. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's pray. Father, we come today before you separated geographically in our homes, but yet united by your Spirit. And Lord, we just pray that your Spirit would witness to us, your Spirit would encourage us, empower us, and display to us the beauty of the gospel revealed through this tabernacle. Father, I pray that we would not be lost in the details, but as we seek to cover lots of ground this morning, um, that you would show us how you are after a sinner. You pursue sinners to dwell with them, to be with them, to commune with them. Father, we thank you for that. And we ask that you would just be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Before we get into all the details, um, I know most of us are near a computer. You're probably watching this on a computer or a phone. Um, you can maybe like open up another window or maybe another device, take another device and go to Google and open up a picture of the tabernacle. Um, there's a lot of pictures that are not accurate. Some are really inaccurate. But as a point of reference, any picture will help. Um, as we go through all these details, you can kind of just come see what I'm talking about and you will have a good visual to follow along. So when God created man in the very beginning, going to, back to Eden, when God created man, he created him with this need. There was this unquenchable desire that God has placed into man. And that desire is to be relational. It's to be communal. So great was that need that in this perfect sinless world, As Adam communed with God, that wasn't enough. Man needed a companion to live with, to share his life with, and so God gave Adam a wife, Eve. And that's all because God has created us to be 
relational. Um, that's why many of you, over the past month or so, have ignored all the stay-at-home rules. I'm um, talking to all the extroverts out there. You've continued to party through this time. And that's because God created us relational. Some of us just cannot be alone. We just can't do it. We are created to be relational with one another. We are created to be relational with God. And Eden was the place. It was a place where man was in perfect communion with God. And he was in perfect communion with one another. It was a place where God and man dwelt perfectly together. But as we know, that didn't last long that story comes to an end real fast. Sin entered the world, and sin, be, sin breaks those relationships. It breaks our relationship with God. And as you know, God forces Adam and Eve out of the garden. Sinful man could no longer dwell with God. A holy God. There's a separation there is a break in the relationship. And so as we read through the Bible, if we look at it, big picture, we see that it is a story of how a holy God pursues a sinful people. He pursues them to restore, to fix that relationship, to dwell with them again. And we see um, in the very beginning, um, God is dwelling with his people in Eden. And then we see at the end of the scriptures in Revelations 21, God is again dwelling with his people. And in between, God is pursuing a sinful people. He is loving them. He is bringing them back to Eden. And so we see that pursuit begins we see God covenanting to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who was Israel. And as we saw through this book, God is relentlessly pursuing and loving this nation. Even though they are wicked, they grumble, they complain, they disobey, they fail. Despite all that, God continues to covenant with them and love them. So much so that at this point in our story, God is going to build himself a house. A place where he can dwell with his people. Verse 8 we just read in Exodus 25. God tells Moses, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell or tabernacle in their midst. That's what God is after. That is the purpose of this structure. This is what it's all about. God is on the mission. He is unfolding a plan to bring man back to Eden, to fix and restore what was broken by sin. And so the tabernacle uh, becomes this very vital mile, uh, milestone in that plan as the plan gets revealed. So here's how the chapters break down. Um, chapters 25 through 30, Moses is on the mountain with God, 
And God is instructing Moses how to build this thing. And then chapters 35 through 39 are the description of them actually building the tabernacle and all the furniture. Uh, those chapters are almost verbatim. All the details are verbatim, um, except the words, and they shall make, God commanding Moses to make it, they shall make. Instead of that, it says, and they made, or and he made. But the chapters are almost like parallelly the same. And so, <clears throat> God instructs them to build it. <clears throat> we see that the tra- tabernacle was a building designed and built exactly the way that God wanted it. So first of all, every building, every structure needs plans, it needs supplies, and it needs someone to build it. And so the plans here we see, they came from God. Every detail is explained. That's why we can see pictures um, of the tabernacle in our Bibles or online Um, We don't know exactly how it looks, but we have a pretty good idea because the description is so detailed. Also in verse 9, God tells Moses, uh, chapter 25, verse 9, God tells Moses, quote, build it exactly as I show you according to the pattern. That word pattern means figure or structure. So God not only told Moses how to build it, but he showed him something, some sort of a prototype, maybe an image of how the tabernacle was supposed to look. And so, God gave him the plans, and the plans were exactly how God wanted this tabernacle to be built. And not only did God give them plans, but God also supplied them the materials. In the middle of the desert, that's where they're at. And where do you get all these goods? Where do you get the gold, the silver, the, the bronze, the beautiful cloth? Like, where do you get this? All around them is dust, sand, and rocks. And if you remember, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, when Pharaoh finally let the people of God go, um, we read in verse 35, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. That is where all the material came from. Came from Egypt So, they have the plans, they have the materials that that the people of Israel have and that they're to bring to God as an offering. Very expensive materials. Um, The lampstand um, is described as weighing in one talent of gold. That's about 75 pounds of pure gold. Um, In today's Today's prices, that's like $2 million just for the lampstand. Um, and so they have the materials, they have the plans, but who's going to build this? I mean, this is, a, this is a high pressure job. You're building a house, you're building a tabernacle. 
for God. Where do you find the Michelangelos to build this thing? And so in Exodus 31, we read, Exodus 31, beginning in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting of stones for setting, and in carving of wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, I think that's how you pronounce it, the son of Ahisamah, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all the able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of the meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that it is on, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table, and, the, and its utensils, and the pure lampstand, with all of its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings, with all of its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons, and for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And so God takes these guys and gives them a talent. It's because the only reason they had this talent is because God himself used them as vessels that he filled with his spirit to produce the artistic um, creativity, and the ability to make all his plans a reality. So we see that God supplied everything, the plan, the materials, and the labor. All of it was supplied. All of it was given to make this happen. And so um, in this next section, what we're going to do is we're going to run through all these things, all the furnishings, the tabernacle, um, and as we go through it, remember, this is very symbolic. It's symbolic of what was lost in Eden. It is symbolic of what was to come through Jesus. It is symbolic of the church. And it is symbolic of the heavenly realities that are real today right now in the throne room of God. And it is symbolic of the city that is to come. So first, before you could enter into the tabernacle, the tabernacle was fenced off. You had to get in there through a gate. And this fenced off area was called the court. It was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. And the tabernacle stood in this court. And along with the tabernacle, outside of the tabernacle stood the bronze basin, and the bronze altar. So feel free to find a picture online 
to look at the visuals of how it was all positioned. And the tabernacle was basically a portable temple. Later on, the temple would be built based on the, this tabernacles, this tabernacle. And so when you enter inside, there was two rooms or two chambers. Uh, first is the holy place. And after that, the next chamber was the most holy place or the holy of holies. The priest would come into the holy place every single day to serve God. But access to the most holy place was allowed only once a year and only for the high priest. That day was, is known as Yom Kippur. Uh, it's the day of atonement. And so in the holy place, it's the first chamber that they would go into every day, there stood three pieces of furniture. Table for the bread, a golden lampstand, and then the altar for incense. And we'll get into those in a second here. And when you go into the most holy place, there is one piece of furniture, very famous. There stood the Ark of the Covenant. It was called the Ark of the Covenant because it carried in it the covenant that God has made with his people. The covenant of God was at the very center of this worship. And on this Ark of the Covenant, this is where God would dwell with his people. In this room, the Holy of Holies. It was a piece of heaven coming down to earth. And so, as we look at the Ark of the Covenant, um, it was built out of acacia wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. And it had a chamber inside. The Ark of the Covenant had a chamber. And inside of it was the stone tablets that had God, God's law carved into them by God. Um, it also had a, some, sort of, some sort of form of manna, um, the bread that God gave them from heaven. And the third object inside the ark was Aaron's staff that miraculously budded. The top of the ark was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat stood two cherubs, one on each side. They were facing each other. They were looking down at the mercy seat. They couldn't lift their gaze to God, but they were looking at the mercy seat with their wings up. In Ezekiel, uh, we have this vision of God. Ezekiel has this vision of God on his throne. In chapters 10, verse 20, we read these words. These were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel. And I knew that they were the cherubim. And so we see this picture of heaven. Ezekiel sees this picture of heaven. And it's resembled here uh, through the ark. Um, David describes the ark as the footstool of God. It's the place where his presence dwelt. And so what we see here, as God is dwelling in the Holy of Holies, before him are the tablets of the law, 
They are representing God's righteousness, God's holiness. They are representing the covenant that God has made with Israel. And here's what's interesting. This is all, this presence of God, God dwelling with the covenant before him. This is all in the middle of a people who are not going to keep their end of the deal. They are going to break the law. They are going to break the covenant that is before God, that God never forgets. And so their sin is ever before God. And here's why the, the lid of this covenant is so important. It's called the mercy seat because this is where mercy is found. On Yom Kippur, once a year, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood of the goat between the cherubs on the mercy seat to atone for the sin of the nation. And this would be done year after year after year for millennia. God kept his end of the deal. They didn't. And so the blood had to be shed to pay for that sin. And so moving on uh, from this first chamber, uh, from this, the, the Holy of Holies to the next chamber, which is the holy place, here we find these three pieces of furniture, uh, the table of the bread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. And so this table for bread, it was also made out of acacia wood. Um, it was plated with gold. And on the table, there were 12 pieces of bread. And those bread, those 12 pieces of bread, they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, that bread was called the bread of presence because it was always standing there in the presence of God. And God commanded them to regularly bake new bread and keep it fresh and set it before him. Bread is a basic human need. We cannot survive without bread, without food. And this was a constant reminder to God's people that God was aware of their needs. Their needs were ever before God and that he is their provider. Across the table for the bread stood the golden lampstand, it was built out of pure gold. The tabernacle, it was covered with leather and cloth. There was no windows. When you enter into it, it was absolute darkness, pitch black. And so the golden lampstand, um, as many of you know it, um, is the menorah. It would be the source of light inside this tabernacle. And the way it was designed, the way God designed it, it looked like a tree. There was three branches on one side, three branches on the other, with one in the middle, making seven, seven lamps. And practically, the gold lampstand was there to shed light in the dark tabernacle. But as we know, the tabernacle is full of symbolism, and so is the lampstand. Beyond its function... 
the lampstand was made in the shape of the tree. There were, it, was, it had the design crafted in gold of almond tree buds on it. And it was a reminder to God's people that God is the giver of life, that God is a sustainer of life. The priests were commanded to keep the light going always, even through the night. It was never to go out. John tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness. God always was and always will be. His light will never go out. And so this glowing lampstand, glowing forever, reminded God's people that God is always with them. He is the source of light and he is the source of life. Also, the shape of the tree It's the echoes. It would provoke uh, the imagery of the Garden of Eden and the tree of life that stood in the midst of the garden. It would be a throwback to the time when God dwelt with his people perfectly without any sin. And so lastly, the third piece in um, the tabernacle in this holy place was the altar of incense. As you entered into the holy place, place. On one side stood the bread table. On the other was the lampstand. And at the end of the room, against the curtain, stood this 20 by 20 inch, maybe three feet high box made out of acacia wood, plated with gold. And it stood against the curtain. And behind the curtain was the most holy place. Just a few feet away was the Ark of the Covenant. And so after completing all the offerings and purifications, uh, the priests would then take a little piece of fire from the main altar outside, and they would bring it inside the holy place. And they would put it on this box, and they would put incense on it. And the smoke would fill the entire tabernacle. And they were doing this, standing in front of the Ark of the Covenant, standing in front of the presence of God, separated by the curtain. And so the incense, as it was burned, as the aroma filled the tabernacle, it was symbolic of the prayers of the priests for the nations that would rise up before God. It was a reminder to God's people that their prayers are known by God. This was done every morning and every evening. We see references of incense um, and prayer all throughout Scripture. Psalm 141, David prayed, O Lord, I call upon you. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Uh, If you remember the story of John the Baptist, uh, Zechariah, uh, his father, um, he was serving at the altar of incense and he was praying to God and the angel appeared to him and told him that his prayers were heard and that they will have a child. Revelations 5.8, we read these words, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers 
of the saints. So we see this very close correlation that this incense inside the tabernacle was a representation of prayers lifted up to God. They were ever present before God. So that is inside the tabernacle. And as we step outside into the courtyard, we see two more pieces of furniture. This is the bronze altar and the basin. And so this bronze altar was, a, was central to all the sacrifices and the atonement that took place in the nation of Israel. This is where the priests would sacrifice animals, and this is where they would burn them. Access into the Holy of Holies was only for the high priest once a year. Access into the holy place was only for the priests, for all the priests. But anyone, anyone can come to the court and bring a sacrifice to God. So this was a very busy place. All day long, people would come in and out bringing atonement for their sin. And so this is the place where the butchering of the animals would happen. Uh, the bur- they would burn them on this altar. And all of this, as you would enter and you would see all this bloodshed and all this burning, all of this would remind God's people of what it takes for God to dwell with them. It would remind them of their sinfulness. This is what it takes for God to be with them. This is what it takes for God to extend his mercy to them. It was through the shedding of innocent blood of these animals. A.W. Tozer, speaking of this altar, says, quote, There it stood, ever smoking, ever bloodstained, ever open to any guilty Hebrew that might wish to approach it. The sinner, having fortified his life by sin, Another life, an innocent life, must be given in his place instead, end quote. This was a powerful display. It was a powerful reminder of human depravity. But this was what was necessary for God to dwell with his people. And lastly, we see the last piece of furniture, which is the bronze basin, stood in the courtyard uh, before the entrance into the tabernacle. This was for the priests. As they worked uh, with the animals, as they sacrificed the animals, they would get blood on their hands. There would be dust and dirt on their feet. And so this is where they would wash themselves. Before they would enter into the holy place, they, were, they had to wash themselves and purify themselves. And so the bronze basin was served for that purpose. And so as we look at the structures, as we look at all the furniture, as we will continue to look at the priestly service next week, we are reminded that all of this was necessary. All of this was established by God that he may dwell with his people. This was a constant reminder of God's holiness. And just think of all the work, all the work that had to be done for God to dwell with them. And despite all this work, and all of the blood that was shed 
thousands of animals each year. Tens of, probably millions of animals throughout the hundreds of years. And all of this blood, it was not enough to atone for sin. It was never enough. The sacrifices had to continue to happen over and over again. And even though God dwelt with them in the midst of the nation, another thing that we see is there was still this distance. Only the priests could actually go into the holy place or the holy of holies. And even then, there was a divide. There was a time limit. It wasn't free access. And if you compare this to Eden, where man just was, just was fellowshipping with God freely, the tabernacle, it falls short. It falls short of the relationship that God had with man in Eden. So all the sacrifices, all the structures, all this furniture, they had a greater purpose. It was all meant to point ahead to something greater. Remember, God is on a mission to restore back Eden, to bring us back to himself. And so the tabernacle wasn't it. It was just part of uh, a milestone in the journey. It had a greater purpose. The tabernacle pointed to something greater. And it was pointing to the day when God would come and dwell with humanity in person. And that person would be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verse 13, 14, we read, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. So the purpose of the tabernacle, the purpose of the temple was for God to dwell with his people temporarily until God himself would appear in flesh to dwell with men. And that flesh is Jesus the better tabernacle. Do you, do you see the progression that is happening here? God is not, does not relent in pursuing us. He is not satisfied with the temple. He's not satisfied with how worship is at the tabernacle. He won't give up until Eden is restored. And in, chapter, uh, in John chapter 2, we have this story. Um, Jesus walks into the temple, the physical building, and he drives out the money changers out of the temple. And so the Jews, they're upset. They come to Jesus and they ask him, what authority do you have to do this? Give us a sign. Who gave you the right to tell us what to do in here? And in John chapter 2, verse 19, we read, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? 
but he was speaking about the temple of his body. The physical building temple was where God dwelt. Jesus comes and he becomes a temple of flesh in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We read this in Colossians 1.19. Jesus becomes the temple. Jesus becomes the place in which the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so all of this furniture, it was pointing really to Jesus. It was pointing to the coming of Christ. And, what, and, and it was pointing to his character and it was pointing to his nature and what he will be for his people. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You had the table for bread. You had those 12 loaves. Well, guess what? I am the bread of life. Jesus is not just, uh, Jesus does not just provide for our physical needs, but Jesus provides nourishment and fulfillment for our souls. You eat his bread, you drink the living waters that Jesus gives you, you will never die, but you will live forever. We look at the lampstand as the representation of God who is light. Jesus comes and he proclaims, I am the light of the world. In this dark world full of evil, full of sickness, full of death, Jesus is light. He will lead you, church, with his strong hand. He is the source of life that is able to take you out of darkness and transfer you into his marvelous light. And unlike us, Jesus was obedient to his Father. He fulfilled the covenant. He fulfilled God's law. He kept it on our behalf. The thousands of innocent animals that were slaughtered at the altar to atone for sin, they couldn't do it. They were pointing to the one who would. Jesus, the perfect, innocent lamb, was slaughtered like an animal for our sin. And unlike the blood of the animals, Jesus' blood atoned for our sin once and for all. In Hebrews 9.24 we read, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, Tabernacle. He didn't just enter the physical tabernacle to bring a sacrifice. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the, pri as the high priests entered the holy places every year with the blood not his own. But as it is, 
He has appeared once and for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. By the sacrifice of himself. Jesus sacrificed himself once and for all. The priests would enter a tabernacle made with hands. Jesus entered into heaven and brought the sacrifice and paid for our sins once and for all. Through the blood of Jesus, we have received mercy. Through the blood of Jesus, we were cleansed, we were washed, and we are accepted by God. The veil that separated man from God was torn in two. There is no longer a barrier, but those who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus are holy and are accepted, and they have free access into the throne room of God. Every single one of us can lift our prayers to God, and they are pleasing to him. They are an incense to God. And not only that, but we have Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Christ has fulfilled everything that we see here on these pages in Exodus. And so as Christ um, was ascended into heaven, he said in Matthew 28... Verse 20, this is the promise that he made to the disciples. This is the promise that he made to the church. He said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the question is how? How is God with us? We have no temple. We have no tabernacle. We have no holy of holies that we can enter into. How is God with us? Church, do you know that you are his temple? The detail of the tabernacle, the craftsmanship it took to put it together, the expensive materials, the attention to detail. Church, now we are that tabernacle. Individually, God the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and collectively we are being built up into a structure, the temple of God. Once, just look at this contrast, once we were a people dead in sin, enemies of God, but now we are considered worthy to be the temple that God dwells within. How scandalous is the love of God. He calls us his workmanship. The tabernacle was a workmanship. I would agree with that. I would say the tabernacle is a workmanship. But God says we are his workmanship. We are more expensive than the tabernacle. No expense was spared 
by God to restore our relationship with him. The tabernacle in Exodus was built of gold, beautiful cloth, silver, and bronze. That all sounds really expensive. But we, church, we were bought with the precious blood of God. Actual blood was spilt to purchase us. The blood of Jesus, the Jesus who was seated at the right hand of the Father, he was here on earth to shed his blood for us. This is real. This really happened. This is how far God went to restore us. This is how far God went to fix what was broken by sin. So church, as God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle, better yet, God is with you today. He dwells within you today. We are separated geographically, but this morning we are united by his spirit. The church has far more significance to God than the tabernacle, than the physical tabernacle. The church is far more costly to God. You are the tabernacle that he dwells in. You are his. And that means that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your prayers are before him. The needs that you have, the needs that you're stressing over right now, God knows them. The life that you crave, God gives it to you today. He is with you. And anything you could ever wish for or desire, you have it in Jesus. And nothing will separate you from him. But just as the tabernacle wasn't it, it was just, that wasn't the thing. We also know that the way things are right now isn't it. Just like the tabernacle to a, pointed to a better way that God will dwell with his people, even today, there is yet a better way that God will dwell with us. We all feel, we all know, that this is not it. God is with us. All the promises are true. But this isn't the fullness of God dwelling with us. We still have COVID-19. We got sicknesses. We are affected by every kind of weakness and struggle, sin, and death. And we know, humanity know, knows, the earth knows as it groans that this is not how it's supposed to be. Even, those, even though these bodies are dwelt 
by God, even though they are the temple of God, they are still wasting away. And what we are waiting for, what our souls are longing for, is the great city. We are waiting for Eden, except it will be way better than Eden. We are waiting for a time and place where there is no sin or any consequence of sin. Where we will forever be face to face with God, dwelling in his presence and his glory. And I want to leave you with these words. We saw how God dwelt with his people in the beginning in Eden. We saw how God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle, in the temple. We saw how God appeared in flesh to dwell amongst us through Jesus. We saw that we are the temple of God, us individually and us as a collectively as a church. God inhabits us by his Holy Spirit. And so finally, the end of the story or the beginning of the story will be when God comes and takes us home and restores all things. And so we read in Revelations 21.1. This is the promise. This is our promise, church. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Church, this is what we wait for. This is what we long for. And this is what we desire. Let's pray. Father, we are such a hopeful people. Even though we are living in a world where brokenness and sin is all around us. Brokenness and sin even in our own lives. Where sickness and death roams the streets. Father, in the midst of it all, we are a hopeful people. In the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, today we can rejoice because this is not it. This is not the end. God, you gave us this great story. A story of how you 
pursue us with your love. And Father, we thank you that you did not leave us dead in our sin, that you did not destroy us justly as we deserve. But you extend your mercy to us. You love us. And you desire to bring us back to Eden. And Lord, this is only possible. This is only possible because of the blood of your son Jesus that atoned for our sin. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have washed us clean. We thank you that you have purified us, that you have made us righteous. Lord, we are so thankful that you are, have transferred us out of darkness into light. And Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, who may be watching this morning or later, who have not experienced the beautiful light of of, of, of the gospel, who have not yet experienced this good news of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that you would show them their desperate need for a Savior, that the longing in their heart, this desire that they have, that they cannot figure out what it is, Lord, it's the desire to be restored with you. It's the desire to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that you would make that obvious, Father, I pray that as a church, as your temple, as we are inhabited by you, as we represent the dwelling place, Lord, that the whole entire, that the world would see this, that they would see your light, your life through your church, Lord, that they would be attracted to it, God. I pray that you would give us boldness and ability to share this good news with this world, with our neighbors, with our friends, Lord. I pray that you would draw many to yourself this morning, and especially at a time like this, Father. Do your work. Father, we are so thankful that you have not left us in the dark, but you have made us your own, and you have clearly showed us where we are going, that we have such a big hope. We have reasons to be joyful. We have reasons to be excited. We have a reason to glorify and worship you this morning. And I pray that we would do that for the glory of Jesus, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.